continuing podcast series, The Surge, on utilities taxation. I am Sal Montabano. I am the power and utilities tax leader in the United States for PwC. And today uh, we're going to be discussing some subjects around excess deferred taxes and in particular protected excess deferred taxes as we've gotten some recent guidance that has come out around protected excess deferred taxes uh, that may create some issues for some utilities. And at least we're checking some of the calculations to see if you're in conformity with some of the normalization rules uh, that have been issued in this particular area. So excess deferred tax guidance has been slow um, coming out of the treasury. There was a revenue procedure 2020-39 that got issued last year. And I think the hope was that uh, they would resolve a lot of the issues around the edges as to how the protected excess deferred taxes would work. At the end of the day, they did address a couple issues such as when to use the average rate assumption method for reversing excess versus reverse South Georgia, and provided some rather vague guidance around how NOL deferred tax deficiencies are protected and really kind of left it up to the regulators to determine how those deficient NOL aided assets are collected. But a lot of other issues around the edges of the calculation really weren't addressed by that particular revenue procedure. So it's not surprising that taxpayers have gone in and tried to seek private letter rulings addressing some of the other issues around the edges of protected excess deferred taxes. So one of the areas where we've seen some private letter rulings issued is around the interaction of cost of removal, salvage, and depreciation in doing the excess deferred tax calculations. And maybe it's it's important to start with an understanding of how book depreciation is calculated at most utilities. So there's definitely a book depreciation rate that applies to particular assets, and it's generally a straight line rate. So let's make the assumption that it's 5% a year and that an asset is depreciated over 20 years. That core book depreciation is always going to be there. But then from a book standpoint, they layer on additional items for cost of removal and salvage. And cost of removal generally increases the depreciation rate, and salvage generally decreases the depreciation rate. And it's really an estimate of what you expect to incur in cost of removal or what salvage you inspect expect to receive back when you dispose of the asset. But it's baked into the depreciation over time so that you're recognizing a piece of it over the life of the underlying asset. And so the question is, when you do the average rate assumption method or reverse South Georgia, and you're baking in these book depreciation calculations as part of that, do you consider the depreciation component related to cost of removal as being part of the protected piece or part of the unprotected piece. 
And we now have a couple of private letter rulings that have been issued that clearly say cost of removal would be deemed to be unprotected. So there's 2020-33-002 that was published last year, and that was followed up by 2021-24-003 that was issued this year that clearly says that cost of removal is part of the unprotected component of excess deferred taxes. And the services reasoning is, is one, there's nothing specific in the normalization rules or in the excess deferred tax normalization rules that would indicate the cost of removal would be protected. Secondly, cost of removal generally creates a deferred tax asset. And the service was loath to create a rule saying that deferred tax assets should be protected under the federal tax normalization rules. So for those reasons in these private letter rulings, they've indicated that the cost of removal should be deemed to be unprotected. But then what about salvage and the salvage assumption? And salvage is specifically referenced as being protected in section 168 I-9 of the Internal Revenue Code. So unlike cost of removal, salvage is specifically referenced as being protected. So what does that mean when you're trying to determine the book depreciation rate to use with respect to an ARAM calculation? Well, going back to my example, it's pretty clear that the 5% basic book depreciation rate should be used in that calculation. But now with some of the private letter rulings that have been issued, it's also clear that cost or removal component of book depreciation probably shouldn't be in that calculation from a protected standpoint, but that the salvage assumption netting against it would be protected as part of that calculation. So instead of depreciating it at 6% and including the cost of removal component, maybe you should be using the 4.5% or 4% or something less than the 5% full book depreciation, meaning that you should haircut that book depreciation by the protected salvage assumption that's part of that depreciation. And why is that important? Well, remember that ARAM and Reverse South Georgia, to some degree, are geared off of that book depreciation rate. And if you're using too high of a book depreciation rate, there's a chance that you're reversing the excess deferred taxes too quickly. Certainly, if the rules would say that you should use a 4.5% rate, and you're either using a 5% rate or a 6% rate or something north of that, including the cost of removal, then there's a good chance that you're reversing the excess deferred taxes too quickly, which would put yourself into a normalization violation. So that's something to take a look at uh, around the ARAM calculations is what the book depreciation rate are you, are you using? And does it have the cost of removal and salvage assumption in it or out of it uh, in determining the protected excess deferred tax piece of that. With that, I wanna move on to another issue. And this actually has to do with a disclosure that was made by Puget Sound Energy in their second quarter 10Q. And that is that they recently received a ruling indicating that the consistency rule applies to excess deferred taxes. Now this 
PLR that Puget received, to my knowledge, hasn't been published yet. But let's go off the concept that the consistency rule applies to excess deferred taxes and try to understand what that means from a normalization standpoint. So what is the consistency rule? The consistency rule, again, is in the basic normalization provisions of the tax code and provides that tax expense, depreciation expense, rate base, and deferred taxes all have to be applied consistently from a normalization standpoint, meaning you can't make assumptions in one component out of those four components that you're not also making in the other components of those four components. And so applying that to excess deferred taxes, I think what we're honing in on is, could there be an issue with single issue rate making around excess deferred taxes? So for instance, when the law changed in 2017, a lot of commissions were proactive to go out to utilities and say, okay, we know the tax rate has gone from 35 to 21%. We need to come up with a game plan for how you're going to give back those excess deferred taxes. And what a lot of commissions did was keep the existing rate mechanisms in place, especially rate mechanisms using historical test periods, but just baking in kind of an, an add-on or single issue allowing for the return of protected and unprotected excess deferred taxes. And I think what we're going to see from this ruling is that that single issue rate making could create a consistency issue with regard to those four components. So for instance, if you start amortizing excess deferred taxes without also adjusting deferred taxes, rate base, and depreciation expense from a rate making standpoint, you could be in violation of the consistency rule uh, in the depreciation code. Um, and therefore, you have a normalization violation or what would be a normalization violation with regard to excess deferred taxes. So that's something to take a look at and see how were excess deferred taxes folded back into your rate making calculations. And was there simply an adder or give back of excess that kind of got tacked on to your existing rate making mechanism to see if there could be a potential consistency violation of the normalization rules. The last issue I want to address real quick is what does it mean to fix a normalization violation at the next available opportunity? So we know with RevProc 2020-39 that I referenced at the beginning, that if you're doing something inconsistent with the excess deferred tax normalization rules, that you have a chance to fix it at your next available opportunity without it being deemed a normalization violation. But what exactly does that mean? And let's give a fairly simple example. Let's say that you go through the rules and determine that you've been inadvertently giving back a million dollars more of excess deferred taxes than you should have. And let's say we come to the 2021 rate year and we've been amortizing excess in 18, 19, and 20, and we determine from a protected excess deferred tax standpoint, we gave back a million dollars too much. 
So now we go to our commission at the next chance, next rate case opportunity and say, we, we need to fix this. We gave back a million dollars too much. What does fixing that exactly mean? Does it mean that that million dollars gets unamortized, so to speak, or gets collected from ratepayers in one year? Or does it mean, can it be amortized over three years or five years or even 10 or 20 years to, to, to make the utility whole for the over amortization of excess deferred taxes? That's an issue that hasn't specifically been addressed at this point in time. Again, it's an issue we may see some rulings uh, come out on, but it's an open question at this point in time as to what does it exactly mean to fix an excess deferred tax normalization violation at the next available opportunity. So I at least wanted to throw that out there that there's potential uncertainty with respect to that particular issue. The last thing I want to mention is, as of the date of this podcast, the House Ways and Means Committee released some legislative text around the reconciliations bill for tax reform in 2021. And as part of that, they're proposing to increase the tax rate from 21% to 26.5%. As part of the provision to increase the tax rate from a corporate tax standpoint, They've included deficient deferred tax normalization language in the tax rate provision. So it looks like there's a possibility, at least in the next round of tax reform, that deficient deferred taxes, meaning deferred taxes going from 21% to 26% or 26.5%, whatever that number lands at, uh, will be collected from ratepayers at a minimum rate, so to speak, at least with regard to protected deficient deferred taxes. Um, so that's something to stay tuned on. Obviously, there's a long way to go with regard to tax reform, but at least the initial cut of that legislative text had deficient deferred tax language in it. So with that, maybe I'll wrap up this version of the podcast. I would assume that we'll be covering some of this legislative text in a future podcast, including some of the normalization implica implications in the next podcast. So stay tuned with us. Until now, this is Sal signing off, and thanks for your attention. This podcast is brought to you by PwC All Rights Reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.